He is risen. Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Jesus, Jesus, we rejoice in you this morning. Rejoice in your victory, in your victory for us because of you and your power and your might and your beauty and your glory. May our hearts be filled with rejoicing for what you have done for us. You are risen. You are victorious. And you have raised us and made us victorious. May we celebrate today. In Jesus' name, amen. Today we celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ. This is the historical event where Jesus, after being put to death and spending three days in the tomb, rose bodily from the dead. His death and resurrection marked the most significant event in history. What makes it the most significant event in history is not merely the physical event itself, but what this physical event accomplished and its meaning for all past and future generations. For instance, the resurrection of Jesus demonstrated that he was truly the Son of God. He was declared to be the Son of God in power according to the spirit of holiness by his resurrection from the dead, Romans 1.4. Further, the resurrection authenticated Jesus' entire ministry. It demonstrated beyond a shadow of a doubt that everything Jesus said and did was true. Whether it was his controversial proclamations, assertions, interpretations, or accusations, his bold actions, or even bolder declarations, his miraculous bodily resurrection from the dead proved those things to be true, proved their authenticity. But there was much, much, much more accomplished through his death and resurrection. You see, his death and resurrection secured many things for those who would believe in him as well. When we trusted in Christ, we were united to him in his death and resurrection. When we trusted in Christ, we were united to him in his death and resurrection. In this union with Christ, we died and rose again with him. Romans 6 says, We were buried therefore with him by baptism into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. (laughs) Did you hear that? For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. Now, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. Through our union with Christ, we have newness of life. Through our union with him, we will have a resurrection like his. Through our union with him, what is his is now ours. His work was on our behalf. We became the beneficiaries of what he accomplished. 
Now, at our Good Friday service, Craig reminded us of several of these glorious accomplishments. Through our union with Christ in his death, several things occurred. He died in our place for our sins. That is, he took upon himself our sins and the punishment for them. And we took upon ourselves his righteousness and the rewards for it. Through his death and resurrection, we are justified before God. It will be counted, what? What will be counted? Righteousness will be counted to us who believe in him, who raised from the dead Jesus our Lord, who was delivered up for our trespasses, and get this, raised for our justification. We are made righteous before the eyes of God, acceptable in his sight, no longer at enmity with him. And as Paul said above, because of this union in his death, we also have union with him In his resurrection. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more, much more, now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life? This morning, my hope is that we would stand firm in these amazing assurances of our resurrection because of the power and assurance of Christ's resurrection. That in our day-to-day lives, we will remember the resurrection and what it accomplished for us and its assurances for us so that we stand firm for Christ in each and every area of our lives. That we not forget these truths, but walk in them in a manner worthy of the resurrection. We often say, give me three seconds and I will forget the gospel. Give me three seconds and I'll forget the resurrection and all the benefits and all the goodness of the resurrection. Our passage this morning is actually in Ephesians chapter 2. If you would turn there with me. Beginning in verse 4, you might remember it. Provides a wondrous description of what we became partakers of when we trusted in the wondrous work of Christ. It says, but God, but God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, he made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. And he raised us up with him. And he seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So that in the coming ages, he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. Mm. Loved preaching that passage a month ago. Love preaching it now. It's a different focus, a different aspect of the passage. As we read here, it's clear that because of God's mercy and great love for us, and through the work of Jesus, we have become partakers in the benefits, the rewards, the achievements of that work. There are three words he uses to describe the benefits that we derive because of Jesus' death and resurrection. 
Each beginning with the Greek word meaning together with. You don't see that in English, but it's there in the Greek. And so this verse literally says, God made us alive together with Christ. God raised us up together with Christ. And God seated us together with Christ in the heavenly realms. Through our togetherness with Jesus, through our union with him, we are heirs with him of what his work accomplished, church. Each descriptor building upon the previous and augmenting the overall concept that Paul is communicating here. And these benefits are this, life. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, made us alive together with Christ. Now, I don't want you to forget the Christ part of this. Jesus is the key to understanding our privileges. It is because of who he is and what he has done. So let's first look at him. Scripture says, in him, in Christ, was life. And that life was the light of men. For as the Father has life in himself, so he has granted the Son to have life in himself. Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. The first Adam came, became a living being. The last Adam, who is Christ, became a life-giving spirit. In him is life. And through our togetherness with Jesus, he says to us, because I live, you also will live. My sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they shall never perish. Through Jesus' resurrection, we who trust in him have obtained infinitely extended life. We will never perish. We will live forever and ever and experience life without end. And that life is an abundant life. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. This is not just speaking of a duration of life, is it? Life far better. One might even say life at its best. When I think of life at its best, I kind of start thinking about Rivendell. I don't know about you. <laughs> Wouldn't you love to live there? I love to live there. That sounds like life at its best. But it's infinitely better than that. Beyond what we can see or even imagine. It says, what no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined, what God has prepared for those who love him. His resurrection life secured life, abundant life, eternal life for all of his followers. Because he lives forever, we will live forever in paradise. Second, Paul says that we were raised up with Jesus, resurrected with him. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, raised us up with Christ. Let's think about Jesus again. No one takes it, Jesus is speaking, that is his life, my life, from me. But I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. 
Acts 2, God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. And then there's that glorious passage in Philippians. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And because of our union, our togetherness with Jesus, Paul says, you were also raised with him. What? You were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. You were also raised with Christ. That is what we are celebrating. It's Jesus' resurrection and what he did for us at the same time. Now, I don't know if you caught that, but he says you have been raised. You have been resurrected. The power of God the Father has raised us up like that power raised Christ up. Of course, this ties closely with being made alive, right? But it adds to it. It adds the idea of exaltation, being lifted from a lowly estate to a superior one which is what happened when Jesus was raised up, right? As God says, he highly exalted him. Now listen to this. He, God, raises the poor from the dust and lifts the needy from the ash heap to make them sit with princes, with the princes of his people. We too were raised from the dust and lifted from the ash heap through Jesus' resurrection. Paul then adds, that we have been seated with Jesus in the heavenly realms. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, seated us with him in the heavenly places. This ties in Jesus what we just read about him, with God exalting him. We also read, to which of the angels has God ever said, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet? He raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him his head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Jesus has been seated in authority in the heavenly places. And this again furthers the picture of what he did for us. Our citizenship is in heaven. Blessed be the God who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. We have been seated, that is placed in a seat of high honor in the heavenly places. If you believe in Christ, you are seated in the heavenly places, in that place of honor at the right hand. 
It's like the second part of that verse that we just read. He raised the poor from the dust. He lifts the needy from the ash heap to make them sit with princes. To make them sit with princes, with the princes of his people. Through the resurrection of Jesus, we have been made alive, raised, and seated with him in the heavenly places. Through the resurrection of Jesus, we have been made alive, church. Alive. And you have been raised and you have been seated in the heavenly places with Jesus. Rejoice. Rejoice. Now, there seems to be a problem with what I've just said. I've put everything in the past tense, as if it is something that we already have, something that we already possess. Well, that's because Paul did it. He said that we have life. It is something you currently possess. You are alive in Christ right now. You are, if you are a believer, you are alive in Christ right now, at this moment, in this room, or or watching on video. You are alive in Christ right now. But how in the world can I say this? Doesn't it seem somewhat ironic for me to be talking about having everlasting life and not perishing? After all, I have been diagnosed with a terminal illness. The reality of death ought to seem all too real to me. And it does. So how can I stand up here and boast of having received everlasting life with my body perishing. All of us are familiar with death. Each of us has encountered it through the passing of close friends, parents, brothers, or sisters, your spouse, a child. even when that loved one was a Christian. Death is all too real. And I'm not the only one in here that has a terminal condition. Everyone in here has the same problem. It's just a matter of how and when we will die. So how could Jesus then say, that he is the resurrection and the life, and the one who believes in him shall never die. How can we affirm that we have eternal life and rejoice in receiving the benefits of the resurrection of Jesus when the reality of death is staring each and every one of us in the face? 
It's a good question. And it deserves an answer. I want to turn quickly to the passage that I just mentioned where Jesus declares that he is the resurrection and the life. That is John 11. This is an essential passage in understanding our resurrection and our life as well as understanding the question of death. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. I want you to notice that first he says, whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. Even those who believe in Jesus still die according to Jesus' words. And yet, even though they die, somehow they shall live and never die. A peculiarity, I didn't know a better word to use, of language is that many terms that we use often have more than one definition or use. You guys ever notice that? You ever say something and was taken the wrong way? In Scripture, the word death and its derivatives, dead and die, carry multiple definitions based upon their context, like every word is based upon its context. Scripture talks about two kinds of death, physical death, and spiritual death. When God warned Adam and Eve that if they, if they ate of the fruit of the garden, that they would surely die, this entailed both physical and spiritual death. When they ate, two things happened. First, they received the curse of physical death. At that moment that they ate, their bodies began to physically deteriorate, which would ultimately end in the natural cessation of life. This was the first result of the curse. The second result of the curse was that they also spiritually died. They were separated from the spiritual life of God. As we read in the passage in Ephesians, we were dead in our trespasses. Speaking of spiritual death. So because of the curse, all people are born spiritually dead. Did you get that? Life, death dead while you're living. And also because of the curse, eventually all people will physically die. We will all be buried or cremated as Jesus affirmed here in John. The question at hand for all of us is about our spiritual condition when this natural death occurs. Though born spiritually dead, the question is, have we become spiritually alive? Because someday every single person will be resurrected from the dead by Jesus. John 5, Jesus says, An hour is coming when all who are in the tombs will hear his voice and come out. All who are in the tombs will hear his voice and come out. Those who have done good to the resurrection of life and those who have done evil to the resurrection of judgment. Jesus is saying here that there is life beyond death. A life that transcends natural death. At that moment, everyone who has ever lived will stand physically before Jesus for his declaration of their spiritual condition and afterlife. 
He will there declare the eternal destiny, the forever life beyond this physical life of every person. So, what does Jesus mean by the phrase, those who have done good in this section? It's a question I asked. Are we all standing judgment based upon our works? Anybody think that when you read that? Jesus had explained what he means by this just a few moments ago. It's not a few moments ago to us because it's in writing, isn't it? A few sentences back, he had just said, For the Father judges no one, but has given all judgment to the Son, that all may honor the Son, just as they honor the Father. Whoever does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. Those who have done good are those who have honored the Son by hearing his word and believing in him. That is the good that is being spoken of here. By hearing his word and believing in him. As Jesus said, whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Those who have believed in him have passed from spiritual death to spiritual life. Those who have not done this, who do not have eternal life, but have remained spiritually dead, will undergo the resurrection of judgment, Jesus says here, where they will receive the just consequences of their deeds done against an infinitely holy God in what the Bible calls the second death. There's another death, the second death. This second death is described throughout the New Testament as a place of God's justice where people will eternally undergo the wrath of God in proportion to their sins against him. And this brings us to another aspect of the question that I raised. That is timing. Timing. Everything that I just talked about described life beyond physical death. Eternity. But I began with present spiritual realities, life before physical death. That kind of gets where we get confused, huh? Timing. Timing has a lot to do with everything. So there are two distinct time signatures in view. The here and the now in which we live, this age, and the future beyond physical death, the coming age. The things that are and the things that will be. Also known as the already and the not yet. This already not yet paradigm is recurrent, is a recurrent theme in the New Testament. For believers, we already have eternal life, though we have not yet experienced the resurrection of life. Although we already possess every spiritual blessing in Christ. We do not yet experience the fullness of these blessings. Can I get an amen to that one? Let me give you some examples. We are already adopted in Christ. Amen? 
You have received, past tense, the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirits that we are the children of God. And yet, we are not yet adopted. Just a couple sentences later, Paul says, But we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly. Anybody give me an amen on that one? As we wait eagerly for adoption as sons. Huh. We're waiting for adoption as sons as well. Another one. We are already redeemed in Christ. Amen. In him we have redemption through his blood. We have redemption. You have been redeemed. But we have not yet been redeemed. The Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. There will be a redemption to come. We are already saved in Christ, for by grace you have been saved, past tense. But we are not yet saved. We have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God, future tense. And this is what is going on in these blessings here in Ephesians. We are already raised with Christ. You were also raised with him. We read that, didn't we? Colossians 2.12. But not yet raised. He who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us future also with Jesus and future bring us into his presence. We already have eternal life in Christ. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know that you have eternal life. But we're still waiting for eternal life. Keep yourselves in the love of God, waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life. We have already been seated in the heavenlies with Christ. He seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. But still we wait and I'll wait being seated with Christ. In Revelation, he says, The one who conquers, I will grant him to sit with me on my throne, as I also conquered and sat with my Father on his throne. These are present results and realities of Jesus' resurrection, awaiting their future consummation, final and full fulfillment. By faith in Christ, all of these spiritual blessings are ours already. But the full enjoyment of these blessings is not yet ours. The already and the not yet. As Sinclair Ferguson says, there remains a yet to be consummated aspect to every facet of salvation. The spiritual declaration and reality is that we are alive, church. And we are already raised. And we are already seated with Christ while we await the resurrection of life. And we see it here in our passage in, in Ephesians. But God made us alive together with Christ, present tense. 
and raised us up with him, present tense, and seated us with him, present tense, in the heavenly places in Christ, so that in the coming ages, future, what? So that in the coming ages, he did all of this now for us. For our assurance, for us to be able to stand firm so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness to us in Christ Jesus. (laughs) We have all of these present realities of the resurrection so that in the coming ages we might whoa the immeasurable riches of his grace to us in Jesus Christ. Wow! But he gave these things to us now for our surety, for our confidence. We have life so that we can look forward and say, life, life to come. I went off script. Sorry about that. Your life is hidden with Christ in God, present. (laughs) Everybody give me an amen on that one. Your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, keep looking. Do you see it? Everybody see it? Then you will also appear with him in glory. In the future, when the Son of Man comes in His glory and all the angels with Him, then He will sit on His glorious throne. Before Him will be gathered all the nations. Then the King will say to those on His right, That's us if we believe. We're the ones on His right. Come, you who are blessed by my Father. Inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. On that day, on that day, not only will our spirits be alive, but our physical bodies that were in the grave will be made alive. We are alive and we will be made alive. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ from the dead, Christ Jesus from the dead, will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. Because you have it now, you will have it. It's guaranteed. Our bodies will be resurrected bodies, renewed bodies, raised bodies that will not be subject to the physical death and corruption that we experience now. It says, He caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through the faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last times. The salvation is ready to be revealed. You have it and it's coming. It's a coming. We all say Sunday's a coming. Our Sunday's a coming too. We will be raised. And then, in body and spirit, we will eat 
and drink at his table in his kingdom and sit on thrones. It's Luke 22. I don't think I had that one up there. I will come to him, Jesus says, and eat with him and he with me. The one who conquers, I will grant him to sit with me on my throne as I also conquered and sat with my father on his throne. (laughs) We will be seated with him in the heavenly places. Though these bodies which we currently struggle in will perish, though we die, yet shall we then live and never die. We will fully finally, consummately be alive in Christ, raised in Christ and seated with Christ forever to enjoy the immeasurable riches of God's grace in Christ. For the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable and we shall be changed. For this perishable body must put on the imperishable and this mortal body must put on immortality. Hear that, hear that. When the perishable puts on the imperishable and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? This is ours, church, with certainty. We are guaranteed its future reality through the resurrection of Jesus because of our union with him now. Because of the already. Because of our union with him now. We have the down payment. And this is the mind-blowing part of this. Yes, I did manage to put this slide on. I have one with Patrick Starr, and it's... Never mind. It's mind-blowing that we already have these things. They are ours. He is already risen from the dead. When we walked in, we said, he is risen. He is risen risen indeed. And because of that, we can say he is risen and we can respond. We are risen too. He has already given us life and is holding that seat. Picture a million Jesus is sitting in a million seats waiting for the million believers or however many there are. It reminds me of a story within Jan Karen's Mitford series. There's a young man named Dooley Barlow who inherits a massive sum of money from Miss Sadie Baxter. Some of the inheritance is used for Dooley's necessities and schooling now. And yet Dooley will not be able to spend the rest of the money until he turns a certain age, reaches a certain point. But the inheritance is already his. 
It's no one else's. It can't be removed. It's his inheritance. Yet some of its benefits just are not yet experienced. In his resurrection, Jesus has irrevocably secured our resurrection. This is the assurance of things hoped for in Hebrews. This is the assurance of things hoped for. Christ's resurrection is our surety. Blessed assurance, Jesus is mine. Spiritual death and the second death are defeated for his followers by his resurrection. Did you hear that? Spiritual death and the second death are defeated by his resurrection. That is why we celebrate this morning. And so Paul concludes, Therefore, my brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. This came right on the, right on the tails of the death where is your sting as he's talked about the resurrection and the beauty of the resurrection, the power of the resurrection. He says, therefore, brothers, be steadfast, immovable, abounding in the work of the Lord. In other words, stand firm. Stand firm. We can stand firm in these future promises because of Christ. So we do not lose heart, he says. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. The pains, the struggles, the adversities of this life might not seem light or momentary. They are very real and very painful and very difficult. But what Paul is saying is that in the midst of them, you have every reason to stand firm because someday when you look back, <laughs> they will appear light and momentary in comparison to the grandeur and the beauty of the beatific vision, staring Jesus in the face, seeing the glory of Christ. Then we will look, we'll go, whoa! What was that? Whoa! And at the same time, we can have certainty that these things are, are ours already. Say that five times fast. Are ours already. We can have certainty that these things are ours already. They have already been given to us. This is the conviction of things not seen in Hebrews. These things are not merely in the future. They are ours now. 
We have eternal life. Church, it is ours. You possess eternal life where you sit if you are trusting in Christ. It is not in the future, but in the now. You have already been raised with Christ. You have already been seated with Him. This, too, is why you can stand firm. Stand firm in the already. Stand firm in the conviction of things not seen. Of the spiritual realities which you presently possess. While you await the future physical and spiritual realities that are awaiting you. Yes, you have it now in the midst of life's afflictions. And so have faith. Stand firm. Don't forget the promise of what is still to come. Stand firm now in the assurance of your salvation because you have it now. Jesus is already risen and has already given you his resurrection life. The spirit is in you and dwells you, secures you, guarantees the future. And someday you'll have the full experience of salvation on the day of salvation. It is because of this that Paul could stand firm and say, it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not at all be ashamed, but that with full courage. I memorized this in a different version, so it's really difficult for me to read. I should have put it in NIV. Oh, yes, it's in. It is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed, but that with full courage now, as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. Indeed, he later says, I count everything as lost because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ my Lord. For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and I may share in his sufferings because like becoming like him in his death that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Not that I already obtained this, or I'm already perfect, but I press on to make it my own, because Christ Jesus had, has made me his own. <laughs> That's a great line, isn't it? I press on to make it my own, because Christ Jesus has made me, past tense. His own. Notice that Paul is not idle. He's not idle in standing firm. Standing firm does not mean standing still to him. He says that he presses on to make it his own. He is pushing forward, making use of the resurrection power which he has been given to impact those around him. Believers, resurrected one, I am ones, I am speaking to you. You too have that resurrection power in you right now. You have the resurrection power of Christ. 
the life of Christ is in you and a massive opportunity lies before you to show this resurrection power and to declare this resurrection power to the dozens or hundreds or thousands of people in your life who do not know it. So don't be ashamed, but have full courage so that the resurrected one will be honored in your body. May your motto also be for me to live as Christ, to die. Oh, to die is gain. There are some of you listening right now who cannot say that Christ has made you his own. You do not trust in Jesus or his death and resurrection. You currently do not have the hope of the resurrection of life. And even if you would deny it, if you were to die today, you would face the resurrection of judgment. But you don't have to. You don't have to. You see, Jesus, whom God raised up, did not seek corruption. Let it be known to you, therefore, that through this man, through Jesus, forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. And by him, everyone who believes, everyone who believes is freed from everything from which you could not be freed. Jesus is the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in him, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in him shall never die. He finished these words with a simple question. Do you believe this? That is all that it takes. Belief. In Jesus Christ. He not only resurrected from the dead, but he is the resurrection and the life. We will all someday stand before him. Will you today hear the voice of the Son of God and live so that in that day, when you stand before him, you look not at him in guilt and shame as your judge, but instead you enter in with rejoicing, looking at him as your savior, your resurrection and your life. Believe, believe, believe on Christ right now, trust in him and you will be given eternal life at that very moment of trust. Please, If this is the desire of your heart, don't wait. Believe. And I encourage you to talk to someone after this service is finished. Talk to someone in this room if you have questions. Someone to pray with you. Believe. Believe. Let's pray. Jesus, we believe. We believe you are the resurrection and our life 
our resurrection and our life because you are life. You are the resurrection. You are the way and the truth and the life. You are the good shepherd. You are the living water. You are the resurrected one. And we worship you. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you for all that you have done for us. Thank you for the life you have given us. Thank you for the seat that you have given us at your table, both now and forevermore. Thank you for resurrection. For raising us from spiritual death and someday raising us from physical death to worship you forever and ever. We look forward to that day. Make us enthusiastic now because we have that life in us now, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. assurance Jesus is mine Oh, what a foretaste of glory divine and of salvation purchase of God born of His Spirit washed in His blood this is my story, this is my song, praising my Savior all the day long. This is my story, this is my song, praising my Savior all the day long. Perfect submission, perfect delight, visions of rapture now burst on my side. Angels descending, rain from above, echoes of mercy, whispers of love. This is my song, praising my Savior all the day long. This is my story, this is my song, praising my Savior all the day Submission, all is at rest. I in my Savior am happy and blessed. Watching and waiting, looking above, filled with 
today be the day. If you do believe this, show and declare his resurrection power in your life. Amen? Amen. Amen. Now, 